everyone, and welcome to Growing Up in America here on 90.1 FM KPFT Pacifica Radio, a discussion on our children, public policy, and how do we as a city and community do when it comes to taking care of all of our kids. Growing Up in America is a production of Children at Risk, the voice of Texas's children, a nonprofit organization dedicated to research, public policy, law, and a collaborative action on behalf of Texas youth. Every week, we aim to fill the same 57 minutes with lively discussion on the children of Texas with experts on the quality of life for our children. Today's show, we will cover topics such as opportunity youth and chronic absenteeism. We are so excited about our experts we have calling in today. Lauren, aren't you excited? I'm so excited. We've got quite the slate today, um, and I know this is a topic I think a lot of people don't know about, but it's something that we are going to be talking a lot about. People might be asking, what is opportunity They might be asking. What does chronic absenteeism mean? A great question. By the end of this show, you're going to know, I promise you. And of course, we'll have our regular segments like our thumbs up and thumbs down and data of the day. So we hope that you will be with us throughout this, these conversations. I'm Mandy Kimball, Vice President and Director of Public Policy and Government Affairs with Children at Risk. And co-hosting with me today is Lauren Beagle, Assistant Director of Programs. Here I am. That's you having me. a good day? Are you staying warm? I am staying warm. I pulled the sweater out from the box under my bed. Always an exciting day when you can open the cold clothes box. Texas um, gets excited. It, as it long does. as it's not too cold yeah. and it doesn't last too long. As long as so we right can still drive okay. around, this is a sweet spot we're in right now. My lemon tree is not dying in my yard. Um, so we love that. <laughs> that uh, that's uh, close to home there. I, I did lose fruit trees in that oh big gosh. winter apocalypse. Anyways, so moving brave. on. That's not what we're dealing with. Okay. <laughs> We're going to first talk about Opportunity Youth, and we have a great guest, Hannah Gorgie with the Aspen Institute and also Texas Opportunity Youth Network. Hannah, are you with us? I am. Thanks for having me, Mandy. Yes, great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We are excited. You're doing okay today. Great. We're also shivering up here in Austin. <laughs> yes, I know. Maybe with a smile, hopefully, as well. So, Hannah, yes. we are really excited to talk about Opportunity Youth today. And I know that this is a, a issue that's very near and dear to your heart. You spend a lot of your, your time working on this. and um, But I'm sure you oftentimes come across people who are like, what are Opportunity Youth? Can you, can you give us just the 101 on what is Opportunity Youth? And then you're also with Aspen Institute and Texas Opportunity Youth Network, if you want to explain that a little bit as well. Sure. Great. Thanks for uh, asking the question. So I'll start with the term Opportunity Youth because I think it is an important thing to keep in mind. Opportunity Youth is a term that emerges out of the White House Council 10 years ago um, for community solutions. That's the the council itself. It's trying to deal with the question of what to do with young people ages 16 to 24 who are not in school, who are not in college or any kind of post-secondary, who are not working or who are working at jobs that have low wages that really know have opportunity for growth, right? So that, that last little bit. So the reason why it's called opportunity youth is because young people themselves were asked, what is it that you want to name yourself? And they said, I don't want to be called by the deficit, disconnected youth. I don't want that term. Rather, I want to be talked about the potential. And that is the opportunity that I can provide to really contribute to my own personal growth and as well as the growth of the community uh, in which I live. Yeah. No, and I, so and, I, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's so valuable. I remember I got introduced to Opportunity Youth at the time when it like disconnected youth was the term. Um, and it feels it is a little negative. Like it's, it's defining them by this thing that we claim to be trying to, to stop. Um, and I think that that's just already showing um, good initiative in the movement to be using that term. And I'd love yeah. to hear some more about, I guess these are kind of the same question is like, what causes these youth oftentimes, or what are kind of the primary reasons these youth become disconnected, to use that word I just said we're not using, to fall into this category? Um, and then what struggles do they face as part of that, you know, being in that group? So there's a 
wide different range of system barriers that have led to this kind of disconnection or lived experience for these young people. For some, um, the school systems just simply didn't work for them, or they had to leave the school system because they were responsible for taking care of younger children or contributing to the household uh, finances. In fact, that was one of the biggest ones, is that we see that most young people who leave school, high school in particular, are going to work because they are becoming one of the primary providers within their household, even if they're still living with a parent or guardian. Mm -hmm. We also have a lot of opportunity youth who are um, system involved. They might be from the foster care system or um, have disabilities. They may also be justice involved. These, These are young people who are just really struggling with how to re-spark their lives, their potential, get back on that pathway. Also mm-hmm. very, very important. And we only have a couple of minutes left, Hannah, but want to talk about yeah. in Texas, what are we seeing? Yeah. Texas is large. We have several communities. One community doesn't necessarily look like another. But from your perspective, as I know that you're working statewide and also in depth with certain communities, what do you see? How is Texas moving forward? What are we doing to support these youth? So we have about 500,000 across the state of Texas. But there's really two stories about opportunity youth in this state. When you look at our urban centers, that's where the concentration of opportunity youth are. So, for example, in Houston, we have 111,000 opportunity youth and young adults. Wow. But when you look at our rural communities, we have much higher rates of disconnection. As many as one in four are disconnected from any kind of post-secondary education or workforce setting. So we have to have a strategy that focuses on scale, and that is happening in our urban communities. But we also have to have a strategy that focuses on economic development, and that really needs to focus in our rural communities, developing our towns to have greater economic diversity. And we're doing that through the Texas Opportunity Youth Network. That's great. Thank you. We are talking with Hannah Gorgie with the Aspen Institute and heads up the Texas Opportunity Youth Network. Hannah, we're going to have to have you back because, as you <laughs> know, it. thank you for the 101, right? People probably didn't, didn't know what even Opportunity Youth meant. Yeah. However, there's a lot going on across the state. We know that the 88th Texas Legislative Session is around the corner starting in January. And I know our listeners want to hear about opportunities that we can support these youth at the local level, but then also as advocates for ourselves, how can we advocate for children and push for for good policies? So if that's okay, Hannah, the expert, we're going to have you (laughs) call back in at another time. That sounds great. I look forward to it. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Hannah. All right. So you have now, you guys are one question down from the questions we put at the beginning. Step one, what is Opportunity Youth? Now you know. That's right. Great start. Um, We are going to now talk to one of the coaches with A Plus Challenge, which is an organization which recently merged with Children at Risk. Very exciting. Um, because they have a team of super passionate and like just on top of it people who are coaching in schools right now just across the Houston area. Um, and something we talk about a lot and that came up with COVID is this idea of in school and out of school time how like what are we doing how are you know what do kids need to be learning um and I know Thanksgiving is coming up the winter holiday is coming up so we wanted to bring one of those coaches in to talk to us a little bit and obviously this idea of like time in school is a huge contributor to opportunity youth and chronic absenteeism Mm -hmm. so I think Erica are you on the line with us I am here hello ladies hi Erica how are you I'm great how are you guys Fantastic. Thanks for joining us. Are you ready for the holidays? I am. I'm ready for some rest and good food and time with family. I know. That yeah. is great. I hope I hope everyone feels that way. It, holidays too. can be a difficult they time. They can be a lot. Um, for some people as well. But able, I'm glad that you're able to hopefully 
get a recharge and a breather. Um, but as Lauren was saying, what what does this mean? I, first of all, I have to say, I think breaks are good for kids because yeah. kids are tired. teachers coaches are tired sometimes you know what I mean it's nice just to have a moment but but what does that mean what do you what do you see in the classroom um like right before and after holiday breaks um what you just named exhaustion so teachers and kids are totally exhausted and it's like they're naturally ready for a break um I think they, too, the kids, they are looking for an opportunity to engage with family because they're at home, parents are at home, um, older siblings possibly. So there's just a time for them to come together and recharge, as you just stated. So everyone is looking for that um, that type of break. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I think... I agree. I mean, I think breaks are huge. I remember, I feel like it was especially in college when I could like feel in my body when we were coming up on a break or a Mm -hmm. long weekend because like you just get so run down. But we also know, and this isn't so much, you know, Thanksgiving break is maybe five, if not more commonly three days, but especially with the longer breaks, you know, winter or especially like summer break, Mm -hmm. what challenges do you guys see in the classroom when kids are coming back from not being in school for a long time and and maybe what you know strategies might there be for parents for students for schools to help combat those learning losses because we know these breaks are so important um the biggest thing we see is getting kids reacclimated to the structure of learning you know when you're at home and you're on a break you don't have any like times or deadlines or a schedule necessarily to follow um, so it's just kind of like getting back into the groove. Like we're back in school. We have to stay woke for uh, seven hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, it's just getting reacclimated. We see a lot of that with um, while teachers come back well rested. Uh, kids are, you know, they kind of disconnect to the idea of learning for a full day. Um, so a good thing for parents to do, and I'm not saying like they have to break out the dry erase board and expo markers, but just engage in conversation with their students about topics um, that's going on in the world. Maybe read a book together, try out some math problems together. That could be really in, in an informal setting, but just where they're still in the process of engaging and learning. You can never read too many books. Right. Right. And, and you don't, and, and Erica, you, you are a literacy coach, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So as a parent, sometimes you want to read. Everyone's like, read to your child. Yes, I'm going to read. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you have to read a whole book to your child that night? Because you know. <laughs> no, no, no. But right, it can be intimidating sometimes. You're like, can I? Do I really have a whole book? Right. And I mean, yeah. clearly like a children's book. I'm not talking yeah. about like some big novel. But right. what are the expectations of that? So I would say reading a book is more so for your primary ages, so like pre-K through second grade. You really want to model like good reading for your for your little kids. So reading a book is really important and valuable at that level. Okay. But when you get to like third grade and up, having conversations about what they read is what's most important. So you don't necessarily have to read the entire book, but it could just be a simple question around, tell me what's going on in the book that you're reading. So then we're um, looking for comprehension idea. there. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes. And just talking about it, like, what are your thoughts around that idea that this writer is saying about, you know, this particular topic? Yeah. Um, so it kind of shifts. Sounds good. And then, and, and what about before? What about before pre-K? It, yeah. Birth, right? Is it, it's okay? You start reading at an early age. Is that when you're just singing songs or reading books? Oh, I think we lost Erica. Uh, Rats. Well, that's okay. That's all right. Well, but you can never read too know, much. Maybe I was going to say, not as a parent or a literacy coach, just as a person, I would say before pre-K, you should probably still be reading. Well, that's what gets them excited. That's what gets them excited. And I feel like there were even times, you know, I mean, I started reading, I think it was a Harry Potter books in like first or second grade. And like, those were long books and my parents were not reading them to me, but I feel like because my parents were reading their own books, mm-hmm. like that also is a way to like model the behavior, obviously after a certain age, but even just like 
letting your kid in on the time, which, you know, might yeah. not be as relaxing as your, like, before bed reading time. Oh, no. But I remember that was a big reason I read, yeah. was my parents would be reading, and I was bored, and I was like, I guess is what we're all doing. <laughs> and then there I was. You're going to be a big girl. Yeah, they trapped me into reading by myself, <laughs> which I guess is everyone's goal. One of the biggest, uh, one of the best tips that I got that I appreciated and implemented um, was something I read that when you're reading to your kids, don't don't be boring about it. Mm-hmm. Be loud and voices. exciting and and whatnot, especially at a young age. So yeah. like, oh, that's great. Okay, Erica dropped, and we're gonna have to move on, but we are gonna be asking questions um, of our guest. And so, since she's not here right now, I'm gonna ask you very quickly, Lauren. What is your favorite Thanksgiving side? Mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. Easy. Yeah. Okay. I'll say mashed potatoes. Getting my just regular teeth mashed out. potatoes. Just regular. Yeah. With gravy. Without. Without. Okay. I just butter? like them. Butter, cream, okay. mix it up. All right. There we go. All right. Now, I think we're gonna bump out. There we go. It's time for thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs Why is that song our thumbs, thumbs up, thumbs down, down song? We still don't know, but I like it, so it's still there until someone calls with a better suggestion. Today's... I can come up with a better suggestion. Oh. I'll give it to you. Oh, dang. <laughs> well, Mandy's going to replace my song, so it better be good. Um, our topic this week, it's Thanksgiving. I was raised in Texas in the days of the UT A&M game mm-hmm. being the Thanksgiving game. So Thanksgiving's all about football. <laughs> the question is, for Because we're in Texas. Because we're in Texas. That's right. Which leads us to our question, is it safe should we be letting middle schoolers, like younger kids, play football? Thumbs up or thumbs down. I, so we want people to call and give them. Yeah, we'd love give for you us, to call. Give us your opinion. The at, number is 713-526-5738. 713-526-5738. And then they press two, 2. And then they'll chat with Claire in the studio and she'll put you on the air. So until y'all call in, you're just leaving us to talk about it, Mandy. That's right. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I... Is it middle school football? And middle school football. Because we don't okay. want to just kill the sport of football. At some point, oh, someone okay. has to some play, I guess. Don't. Okay. But I don't know. I'll just, I'll get into mine. Okay. Me personally, I've thought about this a lot as someone who might one day have kids. I don't think I could let, like, my son play football. Because it, it's so scary to watch their young developing heads just get smacked around. And I had a friend who played rugby, which is less protected than football but literally in one tournament he got like eight concussions like back to back to back in one day the coach didn't know what to do it's kind of a miracle he like honestly is still functioning but like that is just a risk i i feel bad like i want other people to take it because i want to watch football i would love to feel <laughs> that i would terrible i know i would love to to put my child in football but i don't think i could watch them especially when they're you know 11 to 13 like go bang their heads on stuff but i don't know you're a mom of boys okay i just want to say though i think that your kids would easily persuade you because you like football a lot you're just like probably no, not for you I'll and then a, they would come in the with the hard arguments yeah. i don't know i doubt that so we'll see come back in hopefully at least 20 years but so this is difficult and actually a topic um in our household quite a bit because my my husband is an avid football lover. Mm-hmm. He used to play in high school, whatnot. Okay. But um, and I don't like football actually yeah. really much. I don't, I don't find it that entertaining. I can watch it, but I absolutely don't want my kids playing football. This being said, it's not just about the pinion. Of course, I have to like pull out the tools. Yeah. When you're arguing or like sure. disagreeing, um, yeah. Can, and let's talk about science. Yeah. All right. Bring some science into it. Let's bring some science. Let's bring some facts into the conversation about middle school football. Okay. All right. It's a quick Google search. And just to let you know, it would be tons of articles from experts. Okay. Scientists. What do those scientists have to say? They say absolutely no tackle football before the age of 14. Then you have to, well, why? Why do you think? Brain development. Yes. Brain development, concussions, yep. recovery. Yep. Like, what are you doing to your kid's brain? And this is what I just don't really understand why it's still a conversation, right? Mm. Like, if someone wear a seatbelt, because yeah. if you get into an accident, it's going to protect you. Sure. Right? Everyone wears a seatbelt. It's kind of like, don't play tackle football yeah. until you're older, because it will protect you. Multiple. Yeah. And I mean, in... 
Um, what did I read between like 2018 and 2019, or maybe it was between 2019 and uh, anyways, within a year in high school, mm-hmm. there were over 500,000 injuries in high school football. Yeah. Imagine with these younger kids who don't know what they're doing anyways. Yeah. Now they, what my husband also says, and he comes back is they don't play football like they used to. There's more rules. There's more mm. safety procedures. That's there's true. more blah, blah, blah. Yes, that's all true. But f- the, football the is still game, dangerous. Yeah. I actually, so I... I hear you. We love the science. That's what it says. It's actually interesting, though. I was talking to someone who he was talking about how he wanted to play high school in or football in high school. He didn't play in middle school. But the rule at his high school, you could not play ninth grade freshman year football if you hadn't played in middle school. Right. So, like, there that's lies. kind of the thing. That's yeah. Is there's like these even, you know, shame you, on the school. Correct. That's shame on the school. That's, yeah. Because that's not then, like, you're the putting, science. yeah, parents and kids in this position of, like, I don't want to, you know, keep my son from ever playing the sport. No, there's, there's flag but football. That's, and, I played flag football in college and it was plenty contact and lots of fun. I mean, and you can practice your moves and your whatever you're just not getting thrown on the ground getting bounced around okay so clearly i'm a big thumbs down i'm a soft thumbs down until my kid convinces me inevitably Uh, years from now yep that's what it is and just (laughs) to all the texans listening who are pro football and didn't call in your loss officially thumbs down officially mandy wins that one with science (laughs) thumbs down children at risk we are anti-middle school football (laughs) all right that was fun that was good that was, yeah, learned a lot about the science. And <laughs> speaking of the data, and I guess the science, we are talking about chronic absenteeism. And I believe we have Andrew Hairston from um, Texas Appleseed's Education Justice Project. Andrew, are you here with us? Hey, y'all. So Hi. Nice to be with you. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming. How are you? I'm good. I'm in Seattle for a learning exchange. So it's probably... It's my first time in Washington State. Oh, wow. So it's probably a lot colder there than we have all been talking about here in Houston and Austin. Um, it is. <laughs> so, 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 so side note, I know, I hope you brought your jacket. We, we just finished a thumbs up, thumbs down. Are you thumbs up or thumbs down? There's, thumbs there, down. there's no okay. judgment. He said oh, thumbs down. I don't, like, I don't like football at all. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, probably an easy thumbs <laughs> down for him then. The brain development considerations. Yep. Yeah. There we go. And Andrew's following the science. Look at him go. All right. Andrew, as much as we'd love to just keep talking about football, we feel like you might be serving our listeners a little better if you help them learn a little about chronic absenteeism. Um, We are really doing a chronic absenteeism and Opportunity Youth 101 this episode. So keeping with that, could you give us just the basic definition of what is chronic absenteeism? So in Texas, there are compulsory attendance laws. Children under 21 need to be in school if they don't have a high school diploma. And so the school districts have enforcement mechanisms to make sure that kids are attending class. And that leads to chronic absenteeism as a policy consideration for local districts and the Texas legislature. So before 2013, a common practice would be to have the kids go to truancy court and the kids themselves, depending on their age, might have various criminal legal consequences for being chronically absent, right? There might be fines and fees associated with that. There might, in extraordinary circumstances, be jail time prior to 2013. But there were a series of reforms that passed in 2013 and 2015 in the Texas legislature that took away some of those more extreme consequences. But in 2022, well into the pandemic, as we observed currency courts across the state, we saw that there's still very much so a regime in place that criminalizes poverty. The focus has shifted to the parents and their responsibility a bit more. But for older kids, there's also the possibility of fines and fees, usually court administration costs. And this is really hard for working class people, black and brown folks across the state, who are trying to make ends meet, have to take time off of work to go to truancy court and appear before the Justice of the Peace, uh, and then have all of that stress accumulate. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that background information. And I... 
am so grateful that Texas took the steps to not be as punitive. Yeah. Right. Um, with truancy courts or, or missing school. And oftentimes, and I know Andrew, you and I have talked about it, there's truancy and, and then there's chronic absenteeism, which can include truancy, but mm-hmm. kids can be absent for another reason. That was my next question. It, it, yeah. It's health reasons. It's homelessness. If it's mental health, maybe it's transportation, Yeah, having a hard time getting there and people, you know, kind of clumping it up and, and so what I'm concerned about is what Andrew was saying, that how he's seeing things being implemented, maybe not being implemented the way mm-hmm. we, we would like, even though there's, you know, laws on the books or whatnot. But there's also, over this past year, I feel like people have become very concerned, particularly because of Yovaldi mm-hmm. and whatnot, that... Yeah. That we, I'm, I'm fearful that we're going to go backwards rather than forward. I'm fearful that rather than putting in the proper supports for these kids, for these families, and for these schools to make sure kids are successful, that we're going to be relying more on law enforcement or, or mm-hmm. those laws a little bit. Are you, Lauren, what do you think? And, yeah, Andrew? I mean, I think it definitely, I think it ties all back to this idea. I think there's a from just being from talking to people about this an idea that kids who are chronically absent are like the kids like teenagers standing outside like the cvs just skipping school for fun which i think softens maybe one to a position where those kids are then taken to court and it's almost like a scared straight you better go to school or else but like that is so far from the reality for so many students who are chronically absent I mean, Andrew, you kind of just very subtly dropped like the criminalization of poverty. Like there are so many ways that kids get put in these situations where they are made to be chronically absent. Um, the, and yeah, you have a report, be, right? Yes. Andrew, talk about that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate y'all first for lifting up the response to you all day, especially on the Texas Senate side. Mm-hmm. There were some concerning remarks made during committee hearings that the chronic absenteeism in the young person's record is the reason that the tragedy at Rob mm-hmm. Elementary occurred. And I really urge the legislature to not go down that logical path or that thinking of the narrative, because as you all lifted up, there are so many inflection points at this phase of the pandemic that have led to young people being left behind. Right. Mm. Like you mentioned homelessness, maybe experiences with foster care, but then just a general lack of social support where young people are feeling isolated, like they don't have the mental health support services in place to facilitate their healing and their learning in 2022. Uh, And so many other things that could, as prophylactic measures, create the supportive learning environments that they deserve. But, yeah, we have... Over our 15 years of advocacy in the school-to-prison pipeline realm, published various reports on the criminalization of poverty, school policing, truancy practices. And I think the recurring theme has been that if you invest on the front end in these significantly supportive services for young people, you will very much so decrease the likelihood when they get to be older, to be teenagers, that they will be out of school for extended periods of time. Uh, And they'll be enthusiastic to continue their education well through the 12th grade and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew Hairston from Texas Appleseed. Um, calling from, where did you say? You're in Seattle? Seattle. Seattle. Thanks for, you're usually in Austin, right? So just to let people know, but he's taking time time. (laughs) from Seattle. Hey, Andrew. This was a true honor, y'all. Oh, thank you. And I hope to talk to you again. Their session is right around the corner. We, people need to hear. This is our our 101. We'll come back for the 200 level class, maybe later in the session when we have, (laughs) now that they're, now they're primed and ready to go. Thank you so much. I'll uh, do my homework. All right. Safe (laughs) travels. Take care. (laughs) Thanks. All right. It's a deep issue. It is. And it's it's complicated. Yes. Oh, man. What's that? We have music. Coyotes wail along the trail. 
Look at you. Nicely done. All right. Up next, we have Madeline Reedy calling in from City Square um, in Dallas. Madeline, are you with us? I'm here. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How's the weather in Dallas? You know, it's sunny today. It's cold. Yeah. At least cool. the sun's out. There we go. That's our. That's good. So, Madeline Reedy, City Square. Madeline, w- today we have an overarching, our overarching theme that we're talking about: opportunity youth. A little bit about chronic absenteeism. We heard earlier from Hannah um, Grudry, Gorgie, sorry, um, who kind of gave us the one hundred and one on who are the opportunity youth. And I'm excited that you're with us today. City Square, in my opinion, um, is the example of how communities should work together to support opportunity youth. So can you just tell us a little bit about the landscape and what City Square and Dallas is doing to support these youth? Sure. I'd love that we get to share with you guys today. We, we like what we do. Um, <laughs> So for Opportunity Youth, we have a specific program called the Transition Resource Action Center, and it is designed to serve system-involved youth, 14 to 24, and they actually serve 19 counties here in North Texas, Dallas and Tarrant being the two biggest ones. Um, And so that's really what we do and what we are designed to do is to be a one-stop shop where our youth and young people can come to us and get everything that they need under one roof, right? Mm-hmm. I kind of describe it as like grandma's grandma's house. Yeah. She doesn't move. She doesn't change your phone number. She wants to hug you. She wants to say hi. She wants to celebrate with you. She also kind of wants to like, um, you know, hold you accountable when you make a silly decision. <laughs> Yeah, right. um, which is so, so important and unique because one-stop shop people too often. I don't feel like that's how we're supporting our community. It's like, oh, you need this, go here. Oh, you need that, go over here, or this, or that. And it's just really difficult when there's a lot of stress mm-hmm. on on a person, internal, external. Do they have transportation? Do they have the wherewithal to, to get from place to place? So I just think it's great. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's totally awesome. I agree with that. And so what I would say is we do all of that in one building, actually in two. So we have a drop-in center in Dallas and one in Fort Worth. If you're familiar with the North Texas area, mm-hmm. if, if you're from one side, you don't go to the other. So, <laughs> um, so that's kind of why we have those two buildings. And what do you see as the, as the biggest obstacle right now for Opportunity Youth? Or if you had an ask, what would it be? For our young people, what we find is um, housing instability is really key. And so we were kind of created to help system-involve youth, those in foster, where, foster care and um, juvenile justice. But 50% of them that come to us are homeless. And so we've had to create a lot of crisis intervention and housing supports to make sure that that's in place for them. And so one of the things that we've seen in the pandemic is the number of apartments that our young people can get into and that even we can utilize for our housing for are limited, right? So we're going through an affordable housing crisis, and um, our neighbors are being impacted by that, particularly our young people without any credit Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, kind of those social supports to kind of co-sign for them. And that's just basic needs. That is. Yeah. That's just... I remember... um, Full disclosure, everyone, I've heard Madeline give this little talk before because she was with us at the Capitol a few weeks ago, um, and you shared a statistic that just, like, I wrote it down probably, like, underlined in my notes that was 50% of the youth that you see, I think, coming out of foster care are homeless, 
Was that what it was? Apologies if I'm butchering your your data. Oh, that's exactly what it is. Could you so talk? We do an in yeah. yeah. We do an intake, and so for the around fifteen hundred youth that we serve every year, very stably, fifty percent of them report being homeless or um, currently homeless within the last month or so. And that's startling because if you look at national stats, youth aging out of the foster care system historically have about a 25% rate compared to their peers. Oh, I didn't know that we lagged that far behind. No, so, no that I mean, yeah. that is a horrific s- stat, but um, wow. The fact that we're double, right, the national mm-hmm. average is a thing. And, and I love how you call it grandma's house because youth who are in the foster care system, that, that has not been easy, Mm-mm. right? And then they age out, and that's what we're talking about. It's about youth who have aged out of the foster care system, which is at 18. And what 18-year-old never, you know what I mean? Yeah. Needed to come home. Well, A few times your mom's like, hey, yeah. did you do this? Or you're checking up on them or connecting them, and, um, and they just lose that support system. I know there's some out there, but not um, yeah. as in-depth to what Madeline is talking about. Madeline, thank you so much for for your time. We would love to have you back as we've been talking with others. Um, legislative session is just around the corner. There's going to be great bills and opportunities to support these youth and to ensure that Texas makes the right policy decisions. And so we'd love to have you come back and talk about the specifics there. But we're also That's asking... Funny. Um, a question. Thanksgiving is right around the corner. And so very important. Madeline, what is your favorite side dish at Thanksgiving? Uh, I'm going to throw you for a curveball here. Okay. My favorite thing is a salad, but it's not really a salad. We call it a fluff salad in my house. And it's like cherries and Cool Whip and marshmallows. Oh, oh, that sounds good. You know, I will say I think leading salad. with salad was a little misleading, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that does sound pretty good. That sounds like something I would like if it yeah. were. So it's I not a dessert. It's served with a meal as a salad. Well, it's kind of like cranberry sauces in a dessert. You know what I yeah. mean? That, so you're talking about fruit with whipped cream and nuts. You said all mixed up. Yeah, mm-hmm. sounds good. All right. You can throw a. Jello or pudding mix in there. Make it pistachio. Oh, I prefer right. the cherry and kind of tart and that sour. Seems, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to look into that because I'm very curious now what that's about. I that have, I have good. had that before. Oh, that's good. It is? Yeah, okay. That's well, good. if you have a recipe or like a, a guide. I've never made it. Oh. Madeline's your person. All right. Well, I'm Madeline, we'll do a recipe. Thank you. We'll <laughs> circle back later. Thanks so much, Madeline. It. Have a good Thank one. Thank Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we're learning a lot. We could probably like create a list of new menus, and if people are like, "Oh, I want to try something new this year," like here's a list of people's favorite sides. Yeah, that could be a fun little yeah, like our that. our radio guests. <laughs> Here they are. All right, we have another exciting guest, Kevin Hattery, with the Boys and Girls Club, great friend of Children at Risk. Kevin, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good afternoon, everybody. Hello. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Stay, I'm doing great. Thanks staying warm. How how are you how are you feeling? So we we've, we've been talking about opportunity use. We've been talking about chronic absenteeism. We're having some fun talking about um, holiday meals and Thanksgiving sides, uh, Kevin. But you know, so people can have different reactions, and this is just probably where you are in the world it depends on your reactions. Some people. It's like, oh, a week off for Thanksgiving. Some parents might be like, yay. And some kids are like, yay. Mm-hmm. And then there's other parents like, God help me. What am I going to do yeah. with my kids? Like, I have to work. They're mm-hmm. off for a week. Kids might be like, this is terrible. I'm going to like be stuck at my house forever because yeah. mom is working. I can't well, go anywhere. And being like stuck at home is not always like a safe place. 
It for is some not. Kids. That is true. That is true. But then, Kevin, we have you here as well because there's there's a third option at times as well, right? And so, can you talk to us about the importance of after school or out of school time programs and and what you have going on during the holiday breaks? Yeah, you know, and I think you you really articulated that well in terms of some parents do need the service, some don't. And so what we've done is we've created a a holiday schedule. And so we're, if you go to our website at bgcgh.org, you can identify the locations that are actually open. So we are open during the Thanksgiving week, and then we'll also be open during the uh, December holidays. Great. And, and talk to us. Why Why is this important? Why Why are you doing this? What is the, what the feedback? What are you hearing from parents? Yeah, it's what you're having is it's out of school time. So it's just not after school. It's in the summer or during holidays when this is necessary so that there is a safe place for the kids to go when they have to continue to work. Yeah. Yeah. Something that um, we actually talked to Delinda from the McAllen Boys and Girls Club um, last week, maybe two weeks ago. Um, and she kind of opened my eyes to exactly how much, as someone who didn't do a lot of after school programming, I kind of assumed, and I'm definitely the problem here, that it was just kind of like you're in the gym, like it's basically like PE, and you're just kind of hanging out somewhere supervised. But she informed me that that's very far from the case. Um, so I'd love to hear a little more about, you know, especially when we're thinking of these, you know, older kind of high schoolish aged kids who are needing yeah. support. What does it mean for them and their families to know that they can receive, you know, it's really like curriculum. It is classroom kind of, not that you guys are in classrooms, but it's real academic support um, for students who, you know, that might be standing between them and finishing school. Yeah. And when you think about just in our programs are running essentially kindergarten through through 12th grade. and, And we know that most recently, especially because of post covid we've had to really focus in on resiliency type of programming. So whether that's mental well-being or addressing learning loss, mm-hmm. but we've also found, and, and you're mentioning is that around programming that's necessary for opportunity use. And that's for the, the teenagers and, and, and beyond. Uh, so we, we focus in on, on programming that supports career exploration, essential skill development, work-based learning experience, as well as a, a plan for the future. And so when you think about these uh, outputs that would be related to this, so when you're, you're doing um, career exploration and some job shouting, for example, mm-hmm. the essential skill development might be uh, learning how to write a, um, a resume or do interviewing skills. Work-based learning experiences would be um, some more of the soft uh, skills around um, some seasonal part-time employment. And what you're asking about is this later stages of, of somebody before they matriculate out of high school is that um, we're helping them prepare for whether it's a post-secondary education, it could be apprenticeships, full-time employment, or even considering the, the military. And so our programs are designed to help teens um, identify the direction they want to go, and then we support that, that in, in, in internships, with uh, companies that that want to partner with us. And that's what the majority of the people in the world don't know. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. They they probably right. have this traditional after-school program. What are they doing? Um, but, Kevin, what you're talking about is full wraparound life support mm-hmm. of needs, what you need now, and how can we give you the support to make you successful or make them successful moving forward. So it, it is fantastic. Been talking with um, folks today about the upcoming legislative session. It's right around the corner. I'm hoping that uh, we'll be in lock arm in, in Austin at the Capitol a few times over the next few months. But what are you, what are you wanting legislators to know? I mean, what you just described, you're, you're doing a lot for for yeah. communities and schools and public education that they probably don't even realize, right? What would what would best help your efforts to best to support these kids? Yeah, it's something that we instinctively knew, which was 
post-COVID, there was going to be a lot of needs. And if you just look most recently at the NAAP report card that came out, said that uh, kids are behind a year in math. Reading levels are back to the early 1980s. Wow. And so it's not going to go away. Uh, it's it's making sure that we not only recognize it, but then we stay committed to it for several more years. Um, it won't be a, a quick turnaround and, okay, let's fix this during the summertime mm-hmm. and try to catch kids up. They're, they're way behind. So it's the for the legislature to hear the, the message around our need to stay the course with what we've already been doing. It's going to have to get beyond just the next year or two years. It's going to take three, four, five years in order for us to really catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kevin. That was the very information packed, like eight minutes. I'm very impressed. (laughs) Have a good one. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon, Kevin. All right. Beyonce tells us. I I like that one. Yeah. That's good. It makes sense. It's counting down. It's countdown. um, Data. Beyonce for data of the day. (laughs) Now, Mandy, I think we blew through it earlier, but Mm. our secret number is 13.8. And I believe someone you might know, Children at Risk Zone, Caroline Roberts is on the phone to tell us what that means. Caroline. Hi. Hi. How are you today? (laughs) Doing well. Great. 13.8. What does that mean? What do you think it means, Lauren? Well, I know what it means. Mm. But I could make something up that what I, what I would have That's guessed. what you're just supposed to do. I'm go, sorry. Go with the flow. I'm not very good at that. 13.8. They should not be playing tackle football. Yes, that's what it is. They <laughs> it are they are point point two years. years away from playing tackle football. Um, that's okay. what the science says. <laughs> All right, Caroline, give it to us. So 13.8 is the percentage of opportunity youth and young adults in Texas. Wow. Well, so, thanks. Uh, for every 10 young people, um, one or more is going to be an opportunity if they're disconnected, um, not in school or employed. And how does that number compare to either like Texas historically or just like the nation? That number is going up uh, as well about two points above the nation. So definitely lots of risk improvement. This is in the wrong direction that it, we that went. That is again. not where we wanted to go. And if y'all could hear, um, my Apple Watch Siri tried to jump in and answer that one, but Caroline <laughs> was much faster than her. Um, so, Caroline, we did hear from Hannah Gorgie from the Aspen Institute. We talked to Madeline, so mm-hmm. we've gotten us, our listeners, have gotten a bit of background of kind of like what opportunity youth are, what that term means. Um, but could you talk a little more about like the struggles, kind of what we are up against, if you will, in trying to help these young people reconnect? Like where are those gaps or barriers to them getting kind of back into the fold? Absolutely. So the number one barrier is definitely mental health. Um, Our kids and young people have been through a lot in the pandemic, not only in many cases losing family members, caretakers, um, they may have dealt with illness themselves. But then all of those emotional and mental health ramifications of being, um, you know, quarantined, being away from people, uh, the fear and stress that the pandemic had on all of us, not to mention those who are going through developmental periods. Um, and then, you know, virtual learning was really a challenge. As I, I heard Kevin covering, it was a challenge for a lot of students. Um, and I think very discouraging. So we need that uh, mental health support, that social emotional support for kids. In addition to that, we have children who are not traditionally fall into those at-risk categories who have become disconnected, and there aren't a lot of resources and funding for those kids. So we may have pots of funding, but they may be restricted in many ways 
and not available to all the kids who need them. Yeah. Well, 13, I mean, that's that's heavy, right? Yeah. And it's complicated. And if you think about 13, 8% of the population between 16 and 24 yeah. that is a large portion that is it, too large too large and when you think about how is texas going to look moving forward when we think about right now people are talking about their workforce mm-hmm. and access to health i mean these are the these are the youth that we need and we also caroline i know you and i have been talking a bit Again, bringing up the legislative session that's around the corner. The the issues that you just mentioned are vast and big, but they're also connected that always seem to be disconnected. What are some things in Austin? Because I know you'll be going back and forth, talking to the legislature, so you're laying out. These are the needs. What are some of the solutions um, or priorities that you have for next session um, so that our listeners can hear and, and hopefully be more engaged as conversations move forward? Um, well, starting off, we need to think of this as a workforce issue. We need these young people in the workforce. And so thinking about those funding sources and, um, you know, looking workforce boards, uh, other kind of business pathways, uh, educational pathways, how can we use that exists to better serve the greatest number of kids? Um, so really utilizing local workforce boards, making sure that they're prioritizing opportunity use, have a good understanding of the subject, and are collaborative partners. There we go. Um, in addition, I'd love to see better mental health support for kids. Starting in you know, middle school, high school at least, uh, we know that we don't have enough school counselors. So we'd love to see those ratios improve. And just that we're really putting a funding towards giving these kids a good foundation. There we go. Caroline Roberts, Senior Staff Attorney with Children at Risk. Those issues that you've talked about, I'm pretty sure they can find them on the Children at Risk website, right? They can. If they go to childrenatrisk.org slash advocacy, that is the homepage for the 88th Legislative Session. Dare I say, the only webpage you will need understand everything that goes on at the capital children at risk.org for children's issues there's a lot that goes on at the capital (laughs) no it's all there no we can't handle that (laughs) we cannot handle that Uh, but so caroline before we let you go um favorite thanksgiving side what you got Ooh, macaroni and cheese or dressing i can't decide oh so those are dressing or stuff it's all out of the car are those the same no, there's oh. a big conversation. There's a difference between dressing yeah. and stuffing. Okay. Caroline, when you say dressing, not to keep holding you, but what are you talking about? <laughs> cornbread. Cornbread dressing. It's dressing, but it's oh. not stuffed. Now I'm confused. And All the right. turkey. Stuffing. Well, like, that's how, that's okay. what stuffing is supposed to be. Right. But yeah. I feel like no one does that. Well, do they should. Yes. Okay. I clearly, I beg my mom every year to do Tex-Mex Thanksgiving. And so I'm obviously not the gal. I think most Thanksgiving food is overrated. So I'm not the gal to be deciding okay. the, the intricacies. But we're moving on. Thank you, Caroline. All right. Thank you, Caroline. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Okay. So, yeah, well, it's just a little bit of shame, but don't worry about it's, it. Um, it's, I've never been successful. My mom always says no. And well, she says yes. And then the day before she goes, why would we do that for Thanksgiving? We're doing what I want to do. And that is the full, <laughs> the thing, when, all of when it. When you're a mom, you can do yeah. your thing. All right. You have been a busy woman. Yes. For, for multiple reasons. Sure. But one of them is mm-hmm. getting ready for the legislative session. Yes. We have our priorities. Again, people can go to childrenatrisk.org. There's an advocacy page. It is listed out by topics, issues. It gives you data, information. All the stuff. As things move forward, there will be bills next to it. There will be authors, how to contact your legislator. Just to let folks know, Monday was, this past Monday, was the first day of early filing or pre-filing. So there's already already over 1,000 bills filed. I'm predicting about 6,500 at the end of the day, which means that we have to fight even harder to make sure these issues um, that impact children become a priority. And one of the ways we are doing that 
is through Rally Days at the Capitol. Do you want to talk about it? Sure. Um, so Rally Days are pretty much exactly what they sound like. We are going, we've reserved the south steps. So like you're standing outside, you're looking up, there's the dump. It's under construction. So maybe not like the picture They'll we have love, that done. They'll but have that's that all done. right. Yep. Um, we're standing on the steps and the our goal is not to be children at risk standing there you know if we wanted to just talk about our data we could just have like a virtual event we really want it to be partners people stakeholders parents the whole nine from across families, the state voices, families teachers, all of it service providers are coming yeah. together with us to again like we're fighting against 6,499 other things to say this is something y'all should pay attention to and so we're doing these for four of our issue areas which are human trafficking early childhood education, equity, and then kind of a basic needs. I say catch-all, not in a like dismissive way, but like there's a lot of little things like sleep and clean air you and whatever. Basic needs right, to that thrive. Just kind of get lost. Um, so those, it's, you know, the first one, I'll give you that date, is January 24th. That's human trafficking. And then the rest of them, to avoid just prattling dates on the radio, y'all can again go to our website. Um, but they are, you don't have to sign up. You don't have to pay for it. 10 a.m. on the south steps of the Capitol. We'll be there, and we hope to see you there, too. It's going to be that, fun. It and, will be fun. And don't worry. We'll keep talking about it. This we is will. It. Hey, it's going on. <laughs> Thanks for All listening. Right. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Growing Up in America by Children at Risk. We enjoyed our discussion. Please stay tuned next Wednesday from 1 to 2. Lauren, it's been fun. It has been fun. Thanks, y'all. Have a great day. He's starting with the woots. <laughs> and now a speech. I just want to say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain. Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride. Love that guy. Me too. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from Nitsa and the Ad Council. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve. By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council.